So another way to think about the process that I found helpful is like less about the specific task and more just like what are the psychological steps that I go through to prepare to do each hour of work. And optimal work, they boil this down to like a three-step reframing, mindfulness, and challenge, or like ready, set, go. Welcome back, thinkers, to another episode of Doorward Thinking. I'm here today in the St. Louis studio with Jake. How you doing, Jake? Amazing. It's a beautiful Friday. Happy April. Happy April. And back with us today, without his partner in crime, Justin Sanchez. (laughs) How are you today, Justin? Doing great. Good to be back. You're basically a regular contributor now. I know, yeah. I'm just waiting on Almost, that check. Yeah. In the middle. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting there. We're getting there. Okay. Well, today's episode, Thinkers, is about something I'm calling understanding the process. We hear trust the process a lot, but I think sometimes that gets us into a state of complacency where we just go through motions. And that's okay if we're doing something that's been done before, but a lot of us are trying to create something new and unique in our lives, whether that's starting a business or researching something new and exciting in academics, or just trying to do something new with our lives that we haven't seen a lot of models for. So instead of just trusting the process, today we're going to talk to Justin and Jake about what it means to truly dive in and understand the process stemming from an understanding of what you want your end result to be. But before we do that, I need to tell you, Justin, Yeah, there is a new Arcadian Wild song out. Is that right? There, there is, <laughs> you should have seen it, everybody. His eyes just got so wide in the studio right now. He's smiling <laughs> like it's Christmas morning. Man, they're so good. Yeah, and it actually ties into today's episode. We can't play it on here for copyright reasons, but listeners, I want you to go ahead and... Listen to their song, Dopamine, if you get a chance. We're going to listen to it here on studio. We're going to get an honest reaction from Justin. We're diving into reaction videos here on Doorward Thinking. Let me get out the camera. Here you go. This is shocking. And then once we listen and get the lyrics down, we'll go ahead and start with today's episode. All right. All right. We'll be back in a few minutes. So how about that? Pretty amazing. Yeah, they never fail to impress with the strings and the vocal harmony. And the lyrics are pretty Yeah, that's one of the messages of the times right now. And uh, yeah, if you want to go ahead and check the lyrics, what caught me was, uh, what have I missed since I last checked my phone? My God, that must have been 10 minutes ago. Ever seeing, but not perceiving. Ever hearing, but never understanding. A friend of mine teaches high school, and he was reading Macbeth with the students. And they spent a long time in class just reflecting on what Lady Macbeth says to Macbeth, after he does the deed, says, consider it not so deeply. And isn't that kind of the message of like so much around it, right? Just like, don't really think about it. Just act now, act now. Kind of advertising motto. Yeah, for sure. A friend of mine just told me a quote. I forget who it was, but most people aren't bored. They're just distracted. Mm. So much of, I think what the song is talking about is, you know, with the corgi wearing the sweater, or what have you (laughs) is like it's funny because i actually just sent one of my best friends who loves corgis uh, an ai generated (laughs) image of a corgi in a jedi robe with a lightsaber (laughs) it's like oh no (laughs) oops well i think actually produced some value (laughs) yeah but i'm I'm glad that exists yeah exactly (laughs) it should exist but at the same time like you know what hey we think that we're in 
gauging some of this stuff because we're bored, but maybe it's more of a, in this quote, when he talks about distraction, it's like distracted by some other fear, some other worry, where I don't actually engage in the things in my life that are challenging, exciting, and things that I'm passionate about. As I'm distracted by, I'm kind of hiding from something, I guess. Yeah, it can be, yeah, like an inability to just like sit still and consider the things that really matter because there's so many surface level rewards that are offered to us. I guess that's why dopamine is there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, is I have kind of a soapbox about this. But <laughs> I want to hear it. I want to understand. Like, yeah, get unhinged. Song, <laughs> get unhinged. Based on the song, like, is dopamine good? Like, why do we have it? And then yeah, what's behind it? I want to hear the soapbox. Sure. Yeah, I'm not an expert in it, but I recently read this book, uh, Dopamine Nation by Anna Lemke, who's a Stanford psychiatrist. Not a book for children. Uh, <laughs> yeah, basically the idea is, okay, dopamine, everybody knows, is kind of the reward chemical. Like, you know, companies stock their products with extra sugar because it gives you this dopamine hit. We think every time we, like, check our phone, we get a dopamine hit. And that's partly true, but it's, I think it's more accurately described as the molecule of more, which is the title of another book on dopamine. Um, Whereas basically that the chemical, if you will, that underlies that, like, always seeking after the next thing, which is good because that's actually where we get motivation to, like, get up and do something, right, to go and seek the rewarding thing. So that's why we have it in the first place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But... And it can also, in excess, lead to this, like, inability to kind of savor the thing that you have right now, which is more of, like, a serotonin, you know, function. Mm-hmm. Not that I think these things are ultimately reducible to molecules, but it can be, <laughs> can be a helpful, you know, way to think about it. So, so that's why I like the lyrics about, you know, give them an advertisement for the next pair of shoes that will be even better than the ones that they already have. That's, I think, really dopamine is, like, it kind of gives you this anticipatory pleasure for a reward that you could get and then once you actually have it you might actually be kind of disgusted by it like why do i have 15 pairs of shoes now <laughs> yeah that was it trust the process of getting more shoes yeah just trust the process besides they're vegan leather <laughs> <laughs> what does that even mean? they'll be so delighted they'll forget that they're alive yeah so the dopamine is the the next thing the serotonin is the thing that you have now yeah, I think that's that's one way of thinking about it. Again, probably there's like studies that would show the opposite, <laughs> but that's that's at least. And there's interplay. It. There's yeah. there's this you know nice balance of right. all the things. It's yeah, not yeah. just one or the other. So to go into really understanding the process, yep. it's been my experience in my life personally, and I know that other people have kind of talked about this, where they get on a path. Uh, They see like some lofty goal, something that they're very excited by. And then there's a whole lot of steps in between where you are and where you want to go. And we just kind of amble through not knowing exactly what we're doing. And somehow, some way we'll have enough experience by learning from failure and our misadventures that if we are diligent in searching for and reaching for that goal, that goal can be achieved, but that might not necessarily be the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Justin, you have experience working in such a way where you go through and take that end process and kind of reverse engineer the process that you need to be. And it seems to work for you. You're very accomplished in academics and in other fields. 
So I was wondering if you could share some of your insight of your process, where you might have gotten that from and how it's worked for your great success. Sure. Yeah, I guess to start by a disclaimer that I don't really claim to be an expert on any of this stuff. Um, and a lot of what I've learned, I've learned from my friends at Optimal Work who have their own podcast. But uh, Dr. Kevin Majors is a psychiatrist at Harvard Medical School and a mentor of mine. So uh, just to put that on the table. But yeah, so I, the way I think about processes and what I learned from Dr. Majors is really like all of us accomplish things necessarily by a series of steps. And the work that we can do to make that more effective is actually like applying our intelligence to, okay, being explicit about what are those steps and then like workshopping them. So if you think about a task that you do frequently, something simple like making your bed, right? Most of us probably don't like think through what are the steps that I go through to make my bed. But even with a simple process like that, just applying our intelligence to think, be explicit about, okay, first I, you know, remove the blankets and the sheets. And next I, you know, put the pillow over here so that I can rearrange it and so on. Just by studying in that way, the way that we already do things, you'll start to discover, I think, with a little bit of creativity, like ways that things can be done better. And that saves us a little bit from the danger of going through life on autopilot, right? Just doing things the same old way to get things done, right? Obviously, I have the goal in mind of like a, a well-made bed. And that's important. But in a way, more important is like, am I putting my whole self into this task? And one way to start doing that is to actually like think through, okay, what are the steps that I'm taking to get there? In classical philosophy, this would be the work of prudence, right? Knowing the best means to the best ends. And that's the beginning of all virtue in a way, because that's where you start to really get explicit about like, what am I doing and why? I'm not sure that's totally answering your question, but <laughs> maybe it's can be seen how that sort of approach would apply also to like hours of study or any, you know, tasks that you regularly do. So yeah, one thing is like being explicit about the steps. And the other thing is having some kind of bar that you're striving for is really important, I think, in, as we think about our processes. So yes, we have like the ultimate outcome in mind, but you can also find ways of challenging yourself in tasks by aiming for a certain quality. As recently on my pediatrics uh, medicine rotation, and um, one thing that we do in pediatrics and in internal medicine is you have rounds, right? You go around to each room of each patient and you talk about them. And sometimes doctors like go back and forth debating about what's really going on with the patient or what the best treatment path is. And for medical students, sometimes this goes on for three hours or more. A challenge is like, okay, by the end of that, I'm just like super over it. <laughs> it's, it's just like too much. But okay, how do I think about my process for like going through rounds, one way is to have a guiding light, like an ideal, like, okay, I want to actually just try to maintain curiosity throughout this entire three hour rounds. Right. And then every time I see myself kind of deviating from that, I just remind myself like the ideal I'm shooting for curiosity. You can always find something to be curious about. Okay. That was like a lot of thoughts and probably more than you asked, but <laughs> that's okay. But it sounds like the simple things like making the bed, we're going through and doing these things. It's helpful there, but as life becomes more complex, the more complex things that we're trying to do, whether it be career relationships, anything of that nature, it sounds like an approach like this would be even more helpful mm -hmm. for more complex tasks. I think so. Yeah. Cause it can be harder to see, you know, if I have a goal of starting a successful company or whatever, like, okay, that's going to be probably more steps than I can 
realistically think through in a day and their steps are going to be evolving over time. So another way to think about the process that I found helpful is like less about the specific task and more just like what are the psychological steps that I go through to prepare to do each hour of work, whatever that work may be Mm -hmm. really well. And optimal work, they boil this down to like a three-step reframing, mindfulness, and challenge, or like ready, set, go. But that's a process that can apply to everything, right? It's a very broad-based psychological skill to be able to, okay, before I'm facing any task or challenge, to reframe this, to start to see it as an opportunity for growth, to be mindfully present to whatever it is, whatever I'm feeling, whatever reluctance I may feel, or whatever excitement I may feel. And then deliberately challenging oneself and, as we talked about, setting a bar that I'm striving for that will keep me motivated for the whole thing. Now, is that being alive? We're hearing in the song, like, dopamine, just like, I guess, reacting to whatever stimuli that you're being given. Flip from one thing to the next. Yeah, that feels like you're alive. Would you say that this process that you're describing, that we're trying to understand, that this is actually being alive? I think so, yeah. I like that a lot, actually, that it's the way you flip from things just happening to you to actually doing stuff, right? (laughs) Like it's me doing this intentionally. People talk a lot now about living intentionally. Um, But this is what it actually looks like, I think. It's, you know, deliberately crafting your work, whatever that may be, in such a way that you bring your whole intelligence, your whole will, your whole memory to bear on it. So the, in a sense, the, the secret of all your success is is this sort of intentionality? I don't know if there's a secret or if I'm successful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, certainly like I have some publications to my name, but those were all like the ones that I've looked back on and I'm the most proud of. Like, yeah, some of them were three to four year processes of, you know, a lot of bang head against the wall. Like, where is this going? Am I on the right path? But yeah, looking back on that, I can say, I think in good faith that I really like came to work every day and just like, tried to deliberately challenge myself to do a little bit better today than I did yesterday. So in that sense, yeah, I'm, I'm all for trusting the process. <laughs> I remember reading once about Coleridge and his writing of Kublai Khan, which was like, this based on like the sort of dream that he had. He was in the romantic period and he never finished this book. It was kind of like this epic book, this, this kind of amazing story. He never got finished. In reading about this, the author was saying that finishing the book was not so much like a lack of talent or a lack of creativity. It was a rejection of the Renaissance process, which was in a nutshell, or no, actually not not the Renaissance process, the like scholastic process, Hmm. which was inspiration and then sustained like application to develop and to, to kind of finish that like idea that you'd had. And so it was like his failure to complete the book was a rejection of, of process. It, it, I found it fascinating. Uh, and then w- with what you're saying, coming in, you know, intentionally looking for the challenge, what is there about challenge that is inherent to a process by which we actually achieve or finish something? Mm. Yeah, I think, if anytime there's a challenge, there's a possibility for growth. Right? That's the way that living things grows anyway, by being challenged. So we go to the gym, we lift heavy things in order to strengthen our muscles. So that's why I think being explicit about challenging oneself is the way to make the fastest progress. If you're trusting a process, you want to be sure that that process is leading you in a way up an inclined plane. 
right? That it's actually like allowing you in the future to do like better or more or sooner things that you um, were trying to do previously. And there's chemical reasons for that. Too. I guess like when we're facing a challenge, we get adrenaline or, um, you know, our bodies tend to give us the resources that we need to rise to the occasion. This is why we all work better against deadlines, right? Or this is why we procrastinate because actually once the deadline becomes real, all of a sudden assignments due in two hours and I'm like a genius, you know, typing <laughs> super fast and coming up with all these great ideas. But we can tap into that innate power that we have to rise to challenges by really being deliberate in each hour of work, right? That's I guess how I'd answer that. And having a framework of knowing how to do that, how yeah. to look at a challenge and kind of dissect it and see what you need to do in the midst of it is a fantastic skill for any new application that you may not have come across before right. or when you find yourself in a new situation. Yeah. Because I think what a lot of people are struggling with right now, especially in the real estate space, Jake, is there's a lot of upheaval in our economy and a lot of different things going on right now. Everybody doesn't know exactly where it's going to shake out. And there are people who are interested in trying a new way, getting out of the nine to five, getting out of the rat race, but they find themselves in a new situation. And when you're coming from the go to school, get a nine to five, do all of these things where you're essentially told what to do and shuttled into a job that they know they need to do something different, but once they find what they want to do, they don't actually know how to do it, how to get from step A to step B. There's all of this information. There are all these things they can go into, what they can do, and they don't have a process. Would you say that that's accurate? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Justin was talking about the this is a complex thing and with uh, I mean, even just like the process of buying a house, which is an important part of the real estate investing process, whether it's your own home, a great source of wealth creation, or like an investment property. They say there's 180 steps just there to like do that. And each one of those like steps could probably be broken down into like micro steps. And so like, yes, complex processes, that's just one part. And there's so many things that you know, obviously can, can go wrong in there. And if one of those things, like now it's like, choose your own adventure. You got to go down like the rabbit hole of getting, you know, some deal back on track, et cetera. And so, yes, like, absolutely. That's, that's the reality out there, Nate. And so we've been in the real estate space for a while and we've talked to a lot of folks at Doorward. We are more, we see ourselves more as the connectors. We want to connect people together who have the expertise or the ideas because that can't be us. We've heard a uh, shout out to the real estate collaborative, Barry Russell. One of his breakfasts, we heard that in real estate, you need to focus in on your one piece of the business. You can't try to do it all because there's just way too much. Mm -hmm. We want to connect all of those pieces because we understand that we don't have the expertise in all of it. We just can't. No. It's impossible for one person to know everything about it. So how does DoorWord fit into what we're trying to do, help people understand their process? DoorWord, above all, is helping especially the beginners in real estate, right? Whether you're starting out like entirely, like from scratch, or maybe part of that reinvention, part of that getting into an area that you haven't been in before. I would say first and foremost, I think part of what Dward is doing here, Nate, is 
holding up some of those ideals, both in terms of kind of methodology, as well as pictures of success, whereby you can then understand uh, kind of what is that end destination? What is that, that goal that you're trying to get to? You know, Justin, you were talking before about the importance of intentionality and that, that involves in that, that part of the process, which is challenge, it involves having like a goal. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a goal, a point on the incline plane, which is higher than the one that you're at, then there's, there's no direction. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think part of, of what we're doing, Nate, is really like bringing those pieces together some way. Yeah, if I can, but it, like knowing nothing about real estate and having no experience in the in the business, if I were looking to get my foot in the door, so to speak, I would be looking for a kind of mentor, right? And it seems like based on what you're describing, the door word, at least one of its functions is to be this kind of like mentor in the sense of something that shows somebody the goal, the beauty of an ideal, and then gets super practical about like, what's the next step that you can take toward that goal to connect it back to intentionality. Like that's, that's also an important aspect of it. That it means we're doing things motivated by ideals really, rather than motivated by just like fear of not achieving the thing. Mm. You think about a bad mentor it would be somebody who's like, super like do this or else, you know, like Mm -hmm. no matter Mm -hmm. what, who inspires by fear rather than by love. Right. Mm -hmm. Which I don't know. It sounds like this is a little bit on Nate's mind of the, your think of your average person who's caught in the rat race, so to speak. The defining feature of the rat race is fear, right? That you're, you have a fear of losing the race and that's what keeps you running. Mm -hmm. But switching it to a mindset of like, no, I'm driven by my ideals. And even if like, I am still working a nine to five job or whatever, because that's the best way to support my family. Like I can do that with a spirit of service, a spirit of love that makes me actually live a totally different life than the person who's quote caught in the rat race. There's a freedom there. Yeah. Which I think very closely back to that idea of actually being alive. Mm -hmm. It's like, I am the one that is enacting these things. And because I'm choosing not to engage in these other behaviors or fears or worries. There's a, a virulence there, which can't be found in the, in the hamster wheel that so many people are feel stuck in, Nate. That's definitely something that I've found about the rat race without getting into it too deeply here on the show because it's an entire saga unto itself. But uh, my fiance and I, we're going through a few challenges right now where it was necessary for her to leave her job and um, in a very reactionary sense, uh, we started to think, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? And uh, sometimes that's necessary. You need to jump on a life raft and just float for a little bit. But pretty soon it, it started to become clear that if you're just like hanging on and floating, then you're going to be swept by the current of whatever's going on. And just to your point, Jake, it's like you are no longer really in control and you're not enacting life as you want it to be. And so we needed to make a few decisions about what we were going to do in our life, how we were going to spend our time. And we've found that as a result of that process, we do feel much more free and things are starting to work out, even though we're dealing with the same health struggles. Mm -hmm the process has been reframed in a way 
where people are getting the care that they need, where our family income is going to be in a better place, uh, and where we have the free time to live life and enjoy the moments that we do have instead of just flitting around from one location to the next or activity to the next, thinking that we have to do this because that's just what people do. So case in point. I think so many people, when they first start thinking about real estate, there are many people experiencing, maybe not something on that level, but different shades of that where there's a certain desperation to the situation and like, hey, okay, maybe financially, maybe a set of circumstances and not out, like the, the mountain of obstacles seems to be like oppressing me and there must be some way out. And they've heard about real estate. Maybe, maybe it's there. And I'm getting into this because, you know, I've heard the story so many times from different folks where like, I didn't have any money and my credit was really bad when I tried to start my journey in real estate. And connecting it back to like this idea of anxiety, which may or may not allow a process to start, or I might just react. Mm-hmm. And so what is it that defines whether or not you stay in the anxiety and you just kind of react to the anxiety mm-hmm. versus engage in an intentional process? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think one possible answer, although obviously everybody's circumstances are a little bit different, goes back to, I mean, the example Nate gave of like, okay, you're faced with this incredibly difficult, stressful situation. A lot of how your body and mind respond to it, whether you go down a path of anxiety or a path of, in a way, thriving on that challenge, is that act, and you actually use the word reframing, right? That, which I would define as the, you know, deliberately discovering the opportunity for growth here. So in the case of a loved one who's suffering or sick, right? What better opportunity could you have to be loving and serving, show appreciation for that person? And so with that sort of guiding light in mind, what might have been experienced of it as, as anxiety can then instead be just fuel or motivation to do the best work that you can. Now, I'm not sure whether that applies perfectly to the situation you described of somebody who's like out of money, has terrible credit and is looking to get into real estate. It's, it might be the reframe is just to say like, well, maybe this is not the time for me to get into real estate, <laughs> you know? Um, but at the same time, like, I think that that psychological skill of reframing and seeing, okay, I'm down on my luck, um, but here's the opportunity that in some way, like the, the more challenging the situation is, the more there's actually an opportunity there to grow. And if I grow in overcoming this challenge, the better I'll be able to help other people with that same thing in the future. So. I don't know. Does that kind of answer the question? Like, yeah, definitely. I think that's that's super helpful. Reframing as that deciding moment. How am I going to look at this thing that's in front of me? It makes me, you know, obviously you can kind of apply that to any situation, whether it's some new thing that you could, like you're talking about in real estate, Nate, or the the making the bed. Some people they look at maybe the mess in their room. And they're filled with anxiety and it's hard to kind of get out of that. So metaphor for whatever we face in life. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Because for bills, it's family situations, it's all kinds of things. Right. Yeah. What can prime somebody to be able to reframe? Good question. Well, okay. I should 
put another plug here for optimal work because they're <laughs> again like every everything I know about this I'm getting from from optimal work and a little bit of my own research. But first of all, I think understanding that the way that we automatically react to something like seeing a messy room and feeling anxious is always in a way the result of our previous right exposures and behaviors and responses. So I think of this more in the context of like a task that I frequently face and avoid, something that I really don't want to do, something that I dread. The reason that next time I try to sit down to do that task and feel like I really don't want to do it is usually because I've been avoiding that thing in the past. And so I've in a way trained my brain that this thing is a threat. And so that heightens the threat response the next time you come back, right? And so what allows us to reframe there is actually just this knowledge that, okay, the moment that I feel the most dread or anxiety is the moment where my brain is the most readily trainable. The amygdala is firing and sending this alarm signal, but it's also listening for how I respond in that moment. And if I respond by avoiding the thing again, by distracting myself with something else, then it learns, okay, this was indeed a threat. And next time I'm going to sound the alarm even louder with that anxiety signal. But if instead I respond sort of calmly by welcoming whatever I might feel, anxiety, dread, you know, come what may, I wanted to get as loud as it can, right? Bring it on. Eventually that anxiety, that dread, which is pushing me to avoid the thing will subside on its own. And so the initial reframe, I think, is kind of like seeing that. Reframing always involves widening the context of something, right? Because when we're anxious, there's a kind of tunnel vision that happens. There's a narrowing of the window of attention to focus only on this uncomfortable feeling that I'm feeling, which is pushing me toward a certain learned behavior. But by reframing, we can see that emotion for what it really is in the wider context, right? This is my body's natural response to something that it perceives as a threat that objectively may not be a threat, right? There's nothing threatening about a unmade bed <laughs> or an exam coming up, really. Like, absolutely, that's not really a threat, even though subjectively mm -hmm. it can feel that way, right? So that would be, I think, a place to start with reframing is, okay, how can I actually widen my perspective on this thing and see it more truly for what it is, which is an opportunity for growth, an opportunity for love or for service or to embody more some ideal I have. Can you get yourself out of the hamster wheel or do you need somebody to say, hey, you're in the hamster wheel. You're looking at this thing with dread. You gave credit to optimal work for this idea. Like, like, is it possible for somebody in the course of maybe being in the mess or the anxiety, et cetera, to just to like kind of wake up to the fact and like choose? Or does it always take an outside force to like help them begin this process that we're talking about? That's a good question. I guess in theory, it's probably like possible to do on your own, but in practice, it's almost not possible without a mentor. It's kind of like Thomas Aquinas asked the question, like, is it possible to get to heaven without friends? And he says, yeah, in theory, but actually in practice, like you need, you need friends, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that would be kind of how I would answer that. It's like, yeah, in theory, if you had some like Ubermensch who just has like such you know, <laughs> control over their um, emotions and such resolve that <laughs> I have this friend uh, we were learning about uh, from this book, Breath, the benefits of nose breathing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So some friends and I started taping our mouths shut at night because that's the advice this guy gives in the book. One of my friends just said, yeah, I just basically like once I understood that concept, I just stopped breathing through my mouth at night. 
even when I was asleep, like I just willed myself to keep my mouth shut. How does he know that though? <laughs> because he woke up like no longer with dry mouth, mm. no longer with headaches. Okay. So anyway, so maybe he has like a special ability oh, to just like yeah. see clearly something and then will it even in his sleep. If he wanted to go into real estate, <laughs> you could say like he would be able to do it by himself. Whereas normally in theory, it's possible to succeed in real estate by in yourself in theory. But in practice, it's impossible. It takes a connected network. Absolutely. The most successful people in real estate I know are the people who can make friendships and connections that are mutually beneficial. And the more of those friendships and connections they have, the more they can reach out and rely on other people in their needs as they're going through, but also the more that they can benefit others around them in their community with their service and their special talent in it. So going back to what you started with, Nate, when you were talking about like that, trust the process. And that's, that's somebody else who is outside of your process saying, trust the process. Ultimately, that's kind of like an invitation to reframe. Hey, just because there's that thing in front of you, which looks like a threat or a danger, doesn't mean that you're not going to reach your end goal or destination. And in fact, like, I mean, I like to think about things in the context of stories, like it's actually conflict, which makes the stories better. The stories that we, we love and remember is because in that process, there was challenge. Absolutely. And trusting the process comes from an outside perspective, from the perspective of the one who's in the midst of this great story. The greatest stories are people who saw what the problem was and decided to take action. Mm. I can't think of any great stories of somebody who just held on to their life raft and let the river flow downstream and see where they ended up. Yeah. Are you going to be a Corgi or are you going to be a Corgi with a lightsaber? Definitely a Corgi with a lightsaber. <laughs> Inspirational. <laughs> yeah. I like that. I don't know. I know that you were kind of initially skeptical about the idea of trust the process because we want to understand the process more or like maybe a trust, but verify. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can think of a couple of virtues of that kind of motto. One being, as you say, in these moments where we're tempted to doubt the process, that's really where this becomes salient, right? So in medical training, you're like put on a conveyor belt and then it's like, okay, at the end of this, right. you'll be a competent physician. But then you find yourself on the wards and like not knowing what you're doing, you know? And that's when somebody says, trust the process, which is supposed to, I guess, provide some relief that even if you don't know this now, eventually, you know, the path that you're on will... There's another aspect which kind of relates to what we were talking about with, you know, needing the support of others with like trust the process being or entailing a healthy distrust of oneself. Right. So mm. I see this at my institution. They've recently instituted a new medical curriculum. We're going away from the traditional two years of lectures and then two years of clinical. Now it's like a year and a half of lectures, a year of clinical, and then a year and a half of electives. But this is not like a process that's, at least at our institution, been tried before. So we're still kind of guinea pigs in a way. And so when people tell us, trust the process, it's like, well, on what basis would I trust you? And then you can say, well, other med schools have already done this and they're, they're doing fine. But it's true that I think like trust the process is often for us a call to humility that like, I can't be the ubermensch like doing this on my own, breaking new ground always. Like in a way I have to like lean on other people and lean on the things that have been proven to be 
true and successful. I know, does that make sense? Yeah, it, and it's really putting into perspective for me why dopamine is the enemy mm. because <laughs> it is sort of rejection of the now, the humility of the now, and like kind of where you are and, yeah, you know, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I have to think about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah humility. Quotes again. I'm getting the, the image of like the moving carpet at the airport. Mm. Yeah. It's like you can get on the moving carpet and there are people who just stand on it yeah. and let it carry them to their destination. Right. And then there are the people who are speed walking on the moving carpet. So they're moving like four times as fast as the people who are just right on the carpet themselves. <laughs> right. And so this idea of yes, trusting the process and really leaning on those people and being humble and taking your time will get you to your destination then this process of really engaging in it and allowing the process in synergy with the very intentional work you're putting in, mm -hmm. take you to that point at astronomical speeds. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. The trust the process is not an invitation to passivity or inactivity. Right. It's like, mm -hmm. but yeah, trust your own processes in a way is kind of what we're, I feel like converging on. There's like the process, capital P, whatever that may be for your field. But then if you have a process of like, you know, deliberately reframing or mindfully centering yourself in the present moment, like those processes will never fail you, I think. Absolutely. Thanks for your time with us today, Justin. Absolutely. We're going to get into our last segment of the show. It's called Three Things. And listeners, you know what we're talking about. I'm going to ask Justin three questions. He has no knowledge of what these questions are. These came up in the course of our conversation today. And Justin, I'm going to ask you to select one of them okay. to kind of give your take. Listeners, these questions are for you to reflect on your own life and to gain a little bit more wisdom into your process so that when you get out into the world and you face a similar situation, you have a little bit of a framework on which to act and to live better. So three things for Justin Sanchez. Number one. What have you found to be the most challenging thing in accomplishing a goal? Starting, finishing, or something in between? Number two, what do you do when you understand you are unable to undertake and complete a step on your own? And three, what was the moment in your life where it clicked that your ability to reframe had become a nearly automatic response? Okay, listeners, I hope you've had some time to reflect. Justin. What have you got for us? Yeah, I like this first question because, and I'm going to answer it with kind of a non-answer. Uh, what do I find most difficult? Because it really, the answer is, as it is oftentimes in medicine, it depends, right? It depends <laughs> on the task, depends on the patient. But I'll just say, like, I think many times if I were to do a breakdown, it's the just getting started on a task is what I find most challenging probably many of us are in a similar boat of like, I have all these ideas of things I want to do. And you can even like fall into daydreaming about how cool it will be when you've accomplished them. Actually, that's like dopamine at work, right? That anticipation. But then getting to the first step is sometimes hard because we face in that moment where it's time to work this resistance, this dread. But the most helpful advice I've gotten for overcoming that one is like make the first step of your task very simple, like open a blank document, you know? <laughs> so when we talked at the beginning about like outlining my process for things, the first thing should be, should take you like three seconds, right? Because once you're started, then you already have that momentum. 
And the other piece of that is, again, kind of pre-framing, if you will, as I'm setting these goals for myself, that initial dread as exactly the challenge I need to grow in this thing. Um, so that when I do face that resistance, and oftentimes when we face resistance, it's actually a sign that we're on the right path, right? You know, nothing that's really worth doing is going to like come easily to us at first. So pre-framing that initial difficulty I feel in getting started and again, trusting the process that if I commit to this now, it will get easier over time. Just like riding a bike, just like climbing a mountain, right? It's going to be hardest at first, but then it gets easier with practice. Oh, thank you, Justin. That'll wrap it up for us here today. Appreciate you coming out. Absolutely. Thanks for having me back. How was the coffee? It was good. Passable. Passable, yeah. <laughs> Did it give you a dopamine rush? It gave me something, yeah. <laughs> BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Wow. And Jake, as always, a pleasure having you on. Glad to be here, man. Didn't get any BDNF, but yeah. for us non-coffee drinkers. <laughs> <laughs> this episode gave me BDNF. 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 Boom. Boom derived neuro. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> derived narcissism. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. Thanks for joining us today, listeners. As always, you can find us online at doorward.com or check us out on social media on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you want to get in on this Doorward community, be sure to use promo code DOORWARD, that's D-O-O-R-W-A-R-D, to get free lifetime access to connect to all the pieces you need to be successful in real estate. Till next time, I'm your host, Nate LeBlanc, reminding you to get off of the life raft and to get back to living. <laughs>